Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Beast Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and for this special debrief episode of Brentford v Luton for Beast Tactical, I'm joined by the man I appear to speak to more than my girlfriend, Ben from Luton Analytics. How are we? And thank you for joining us again. What a title. That is exactly who I want to be at this point. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the really important conversations to be had. <laughs> How are we doing, Ben? Have you recovered from yesterday? Uh, just about normally had it, yeah normally a one nil defeat I wouldn't want to be speaking to anyone about it but uh yeah actually really positive from yesterday such a kind of roller coaster ride of a game um I'm sure we'll get on to but just great fun so yeah looking forward to chatting about it yeah great stuff it was a roller coaster wasn't it yeah so just before we get into it just a brief episode outline um we're just going to run over the game. We're going to do a brief match overview, um, a bit more on the game itself. Uh, just look at the sort of splits and uh, the differing halves and then a few positives and negatives and a bits bits in between that. Um, how does that sound? Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good to me. Let's do it. Okay, so I guess starting off, overriding feelings and emotions after the game. Uh, now that you've had a bit of a chance to think about it, how do, how do you feel about the game? Um... <laughs> As I said, yeah, really positive. Um, I think we took a hell of a lot away from that. We've had a couple of kind of 1-0 losses fairly recently that have just been so disappointing that the team have given up and not pushed for for the equaliser or anything. Um, But yeah, had had it been the first half, had the first half kind of emulated itself in the second half... I would have been pretty disappointed, um, but it kind of would have been what I expected, whereas we got a hell of a second half from our team, both in terms of commitment and performance. So, uh, yeah, all in all, pretty chuffed, really, uh, despite the dis- kind of disappointing fact that we didn't get any points from the game. Yeah, I, I hear you a bit there. It's, it is unusual to not be so disappointed from a defeat, but... I guess that's just testament to the performance and um, attitude and, yeah, just application of all the players. It was... Um... 
from Brentford's perspective, I think it didn't feel like we were playing a team at the bottom of the table or sort of scratching around in this league, clueless, not knowing what they were doing. It didn't feel like that at all. And I think um, we'll probably come into detail a bit more sort of later why that is. But um, yeah, I, I was really impressed. I think for from a Brentford perspective, overriding feelings after the game were just relief. I think <laughs> that second half was a bombardment. And um, we've um, we've had a couple of those sort of backs of the wall performances but I don't, we haven't had one this year that was as as back to the wall as that like we, we were pinned back for a really long time we didn't have too much of an answer so um yeah, yeah I, was, it, I, was, I was looking at the possession stats and there aren't many teams who kind of dominate possession against you and I think given the nature of the first half and how dominant you were for us to come kind of come out of the game with sort of 55 percent of possession to your 45 just mm. felt like a kind of real statement of intent from us in terms of how much we dominated that second half yeah absolutely I, I think um just the possession itself but then I, I think the volume of passes as well I think um sometimes we might just shade it like 51 48 or 48 47 or whatever whatever way the possession split but it's it was just the volume of passes you made against us and I think that was indicative of how how, probably how tired we looked um just to probably yeah let's let's go back to some of the bits we spoke about in the preview because I think that's a good place to start ahead of the game and just um just relay those about against sort of what we thought might happen but um uh I think um from the preview one of the interesting thought, things I thought about was what what Jones would do differently to stop this game being a bit of a mismatch again a hammering and um I, I think a good place to start I reckon because um, we were so dominant in that first half. I think we were dominant, but I, I think Jones tried to do something well. So maybe just you probably introduce what you think. Because I, I, th- I think I saw some better things with the pressing structure and the team from your side of things and how you went about trying to stop us. Even though it didn't work, what did, what did you see with the boys, with the Luton yeah, sort of I, I think starting? In the preview, we covered off the fact that I couldn't and can't guess the formation for Love Nor Money week in, week out. Um, and I wouldn't have guessed this, to be honest. Um, the kind of personnel, possibly, um, I would have picked. But uh, for him to kind of go for a sort of out-and-out 4-3-3 felt quite attacking. And we had quite an attacking bench as well. And it, I, I guess he may have seen it as kind of a free hit that if we were going to go for it, we should really go for it against you guys. And we've seen him in previous games. So we started quite bright. The first at 5 or 10, we were sort of in amongst it. And then... Once you kind of got the goal and started to really take over in the first half, I was kind of expecting him to switch to maybe a three at the back, uh, which he has done before. But kind of all credit to him, he kind of stuck with this 4-3-3. And we kind of really kicked on in terms of, I think, just settled into our rhythm a bit more, managed to keep it at 1-0 until half time. So we were definitely still in the game uh, going into the second half. And I think for me, one of the things we discussed in the preview was the kind of the nature of the press and how important that can be um both in terms of uh, for us for the whole season it's kind of been a key factor for us and I think we got that wrong for the first sort of 30 40 minutes and were stuck in kind of a middle ground um where we were neither pressing you really advanced or, or completely sitting back we were and you guys were just playing around us um which at times kind of felt a bit disheartening I think it was 15 minutes in before I tweeted it's a bit unfair to have a Premier League team in the Championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did see that. I was watching the um, the Luton Analytics Twitter feed, and uh, it was yeah, it was a good it was a good read throughout the game. Um, but yeah, some of the things we did pick up on were we 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 kind of got into a bit of a discussion about Pelly and um, 
him being sort of having to play well for this team to function and we you picked up rightly that Barry might come in possibly instead of him but or come in to to give the midfield a little bit more maybe just a little bit more solidity and a bit more control um, but it was also it was Moncur that came in as well. So it was Pelly, Berry, Moncur as well, and Dewsbury Hall. Um, was that a huge surprise, or was that kind of what you were thinking in your head? And it makes a lot of sense now. So yeah, I I, I had sort of named maybe Berry or Morel. Morel can't seem to get in the in the squad for love nor money at the moment. Um, and Berry, Berry, yeah, was an interesting choice in terms of like you say decent one to get a tackle in but also get his foot on the ball and kind of calm things down Pelly, I wasn't expecting him to have the game he had and I thought um, we talked a bit about how if Pelly has a good game Luton have a good game and that was very much kind of the second half because um, there were a lot of tweets between Luton fans at the sort of first five ten minutes of the game saying why is Pelly playing in the deeper sort of role in midfield because if he didn't like positionally he sometimes struggles and he gets caught on the ball quite a lot if there's a good pressing team so yeah I was amazed to see him along with quite a few other Luton fans playing that kind of deeper midfield role but he did an incredibly good job and allowed kind of uh, allowed for kind of incredibly solid midfield where there was seemed to be quite a lot of space to play out as well yeah yeah I agree I I think Something I said pre-game was that if you're going to if you're going to get anything out of this, or if you're going to improve, and it doesn't turn into a bit of a cricket scorer or slip away from you, that that Raya, Madsbeck, Sorensen, and Pinnock need to be pressed much better. Um, uh, I, I think you Collins played this time instead of um, Danny Hilton, who played central last time. Um, so Collins is obviously a little bit more athletic than Hilton can get around, and I think he was the central point. And then behind him, you had the three of Pelly, um, Moncur and Cornick on the right. And that four did a lot better job of preventing just so many passes between Rea, Mads and um, Pinnock. And just looking at the, um, yeah, we might get the lads to tweet this out, actually. But just looking at the passing network in comparison for the last game at the back of Brentford. So when we played in the 3-0 defeat at Kenilworth Road compared to the one today, sorry, yesterday, it's not quite as thick. So the thickness lines that show how many passes go between, you can just immediately see that it's not quite as thick. So that commitment to pressing higher, it probably looked like Brentford steamrolled through and um, went through you quite easily. But Mm. I I think as the game went on and the midfielders pushed on behind that line, um, it uh, it did benefit you as well. And then just basically... It, it confused Brentford and in the end it did tire us out and um, it, yeah. it definitely made a difference. It was quite nice to see us kind of hold our nerve and kind of keep trying to play our football despite yeah the kind of technical uh, and kind of passing ability that your team have to kind of play through teams. I think we ended up out passing you at the end of the game so 437 passes to your 371 which uh, is just yeah testament to the fact that we kind of really dominated the ball and, and kind of kept hold of it quite well in the second half um but yeah I, th- I think that press is something we spoke about a lot um and it, it really felt when when Collins is up there on his own as kind of the lone striker it, it they don't if they don't press together as a team um, and he doesn't get back up from some of the midfield then then it, he really struggles and I think that's what Hilton struggled with in the game before the last game we played against you um, and as you say Collins is more bit that bit more athletic and can kind of keep keep that running momentum going 
I felt Moncur was a bit detached out on the left-hand side. Um, I felt he got kind of uh, abandoned and really struggled to get into the game, which uh, I wasn't surprised to see him go off because um, I didn't think he had the best game. Um, if for me, he's he's much better off the bench and bringing bringing a kind of spark to the team because he always is quite direct in his approach. Um, but yeah, I, it was just interesting to see us uh, outpass significantly outpass what we feel is a great passing side. Yeah, that was that's definitely one of the overriding overriding narratives of the game. Um, yeah, so I think this is a good point to start delving into the game itself. So let's um, let's move into that. So obviously finished one nil to Brentford. How? Uh, yeah, I think you've um, you've alluded to it. A uh, bit a bit disappointing with that. Well, final score. yeah, it was something again. We came, we 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 touched upon in the first episode. We knew that if the stats are there, that if if we concede the first goal, we we rarely come back. We at the odd we get the odd point or two out of the game, but and more often than not, we're losing those games. And for, to see that goal go in, I think I got tweeted um, by by your account saying uh, early goal Claxon, which I was sort of reminded, <laughs> reminded me of just how disappointed I was that we'd conceded that early. Um, <laughs> that's all you need yeah just reminding of the the game yeah, plan that's remind, going to pull yeah. you apart <laughs> reminding of how imminent our defeat is going to be so I, I did at, th- at that point I did think this could be a very long night um and yeah I, I but I think in terms of moments of class in the game I, I would love it Collins often gets pushed out wide and tries to cross into the box but I don't think we've seen many like Ivan Tony put in for Godos last night yeah, it was a delightful cross, wasn't it? Yeah. So I guess just before we go on to that, I think it's good to look at the um just look at the overall um sort of numbers, like the expected goals numbers is probably a good framework to work from and then see how they make sense. But yeah, it's good to look, let's look at a couple. So Infogol had it at uh, one point five four for Brentford to zero point nine for, for you guys. Uh yeah. five thirty eight was fairly similar, one point four one to zero point nine three. Um, so fairly similar again and then non-shot XG which is basically like for anyone who's not really aware like valuing all of the sort of high interceptions the passes the quality of passes around the box it tries to give a number to basically approach play creativity and just everything that's not involved in shooting and then value and that is really tight it's 1.59 to Brentford to 1.36 and and I think that represented itself in the game you could see where I think the the big chances and the big shots themselves when they came out Brentford were ahead but I think the quality around the box and some of the passes Luton put in over the 90 minutes were more than a match with Brentford and it took some some last ditch tackles to to keep them out but yeah that non-shot actually is really interesting to hear because from the, from the uh, XG kind of models that I've I've looked at as well, it just bat, you were basically bang on scoring half a goal extra, um, and the chances that we did create in the second half were kind of bit chances. They weren't they weren't as kind of chunky as the ones that that you guys seem to have. Even though you had the, yours were few and far between in the second half, they were sort of more clear cut. And yeah. I found it quite kind of amusing that. Um, B's tactical refer to the kind of XG storylines and the XG timelines as mm. the XG race, yeah. um, the race to the end, uh, which, <laughs> which I guess is, is indicative of the fact that you guys have got a very winning mentality because you want to win the race, uh, <laughs> the XG race to the end of the game. Um, but yeah, I definitely, refer, because we tend to lose a fair bit as well, <laughs> I, I tend to look at the storylines of the game. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Actually, I, I don't think Bees Tactical can take the credit for um, calling them race charts. I think there's, there's someone else far smarter has thought of it like that. But I guess it's like a race to to sort of um, yeah to winning basically. But I think yeah. race to leading um, just a metric that's quite important. But 
yeah let's go over it a little bit um i'll call it the race chart don't um yeah, do it. don't uh don't mock me for that one but yeah <laughs> but yeah what's quite interesting i think um brentford started off quite well we know that and then had the, the early shots were with brentford and um actually just looking at it again Brent, uh, Luton's first shot wasn't until I think the 27th minute I think it was Berry or Moncur I'm not sure but in that time Brentford were peppering away and just had so much control of the game controlled the possession the, the every time Luton got it you were quite you were quite compact and it was really hard for you to sort of expand and pass the ball around with it and it, it was easy for Brentford to win the ball back and the shots just kept coming Sergi Canos must have had three uh, Tony had one and then Tony, the the goal as well came on thirteen or fourteen minutes, and Tony's rotated out wide into the into the wide areas, and um, it's just all one touch. And ball goes out to um, Embremo, he one touches it back to Tony. Tony's just puts in an unbelievable cross, and it was a really sweet moment on um, the Brentford commentary where uh, it was um, Charlie McDonald, an ex Brentford striker, spoke about how strikers are really good at crossing the ball so like when we think of crossing we're talking like traditional crossing sort of out wide and just whipping it in and just putting it into an area because they understand the sort of balls that they like to receive and and the pace on it and just and I think they just don't try and place it as much they do they just try and whip it in and it's more like a, a bit more like a laces cross than sort of an instep swinging put it on a sixpence thing and Godos had ghosted in unmarked and no one really picked him up and it was just uh, it, it was it was everything Luton didn't want and I think it was everything Brentford were aiming for just just attack hard get that early goal and um, yeah it must have been a bit of a blow for you yeah I think in this in this post-match our, our right back James Bree so it said him and the centre-back could have could have done slightly better and I didn't really know how because the cross was the cross was so pinpoint and and kind of hammered it like as long as he directed it in the right direction it was definitely going to fly in mm. um and yeah all credit I kind of called Godos out actually before I was quite pleased with myself but disappointed that obviously that it happened that I called Godos out as being kind of the threat from midfield and now that he started getting goals that I figured he'd be the threat from midfield and sadly I was right about that <laughs> yeah unfortunate <laughs> yeah it's it's really interesting actually like just thinking about him as a as a player because his introduction to Brentford's first team especially is very very new and it's still quite raw and people a lot lot of people just associate him with they just basically think he's an overweight unfit player who shouldn't really be on the pitch but I I think a lot of them are quite um quite wrong with that he's he just has an unfortunate body shape which similar to to Rooney's shape where they just look like they're carrying a lot of weight but He's 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 an athlete. I mean, you you don't really get to play top level football without being being quite athletic. So sometimes I think body shapes and Ronaldo can make us think that everyone should look like an Adonis, but not everyone does. And yeah, I think he's he's showed um, a few people that um, he knows how to break from midfield. But it, he was just untracked, wasn't he? I think there's it's hard to see from the the replays, but he gets the ball and he basically he just drops off the back. I think it's either Dewsbury Hall or. Um, or maybe someone's come inside and he just goes forward and gets into the into the front line and he's the furthest forward player because Tony's out wide and I don't think Bradley or Lockyer really thought too much about him and they they sort of looked outside and thought my man's out on the on the right wing Tony and um, they probably got a little bit um, not, not complacent but they, their eyes were taken off um, the attacking phase and they didn't really they didn't really see Godos there and uh, yeah he's just directed it in front of goal and it's actually a really really well taken header. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't kind of begrudge that goal very much. I think for the quality of the cross, and we've seen 
I, again, it was something that I commented on in the preview is that crosses, if you can get crosses into the box against us and we fail to stop them, it, it normally results in goals. Um, and that one was excellent. It was kind of reminiscent of, um, I think, some, uh, who was it, for Stoke? Um, one, of, one of Stoke's kind of strikers did exactly the same, drifted out and whipped in an incredible ball. Um, and, and it was the same result. So, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me to see it. But, yeah, I wouldn't begrudge the quality. And I, I feel probably... Jones felt that I think they were slightly sloppy in letting letting that goal happen, but for me, with fair play, you got to hold your hands up, and it, yeah. had, it had really been coming as well at that point. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a period where we were on top, but yeah, I, I don't agree that they felt like they could do more with that. I, I think it was a, uh, it was as I said before, it was like one touch, um, and Bemo back flicking it, Tony first time putting it in, and then the header, and yeah, it's it's hard to defend against when the ball's moving that quickly and it's that accurate. So yeah, maybe he was just defending the lads a little bit more than making a, a classic point. But yeah, um, I, I think that's yeah probably indicative of just talking about the first half. I guess that it was just pure Brentford dominance. I don't think you. I think you had three shots in the first half, possibly four. I think three of them were outside the box. One of them kind of crept in the box at the edge. Um, I don't think Raya had to do too much. And um, yeah, until yeah, until about the twenty seventh minute. Um, you looked pretty stifled and it's difficult isn't it because I think your your pressing was okay it's just Brentford were Brentford because you pushed on to Brentford I think there were spaces and we we sort of capitalized and I think we just stunned you and we we got the ball into the box far too easily I think once we got past that press it was far too easy to just move into the box and get shots off and Sluga was fairly busy in that first half but yeah, any anything really of the first half of note that you you thought was sort of like shocking, or you'd have done differently, or or I guess it leads on to the second. Okay. What do you think? Uh, in terms of shocking, I thought we were quite lucky to get away with not giving away a penalty. Uh, so Bradley's push on on Tony, which mm. was as clear a push as I think you'll ever see. So I think we kind of dodged one there, and, and we're quite lucky in that respect. Um, I. Yeah, aside from the goal, there wasn't too much and we were fairly steadfast. And it's nice to see kind of Sluga being uh, so much more consistent this season. Um, and someone actually called us out for not really talking about how good he's been, which uh, <laughs> yeah. was, kind of, was kind of case in point for how, how much he's progressed as a player and how much he just does, how much his clangers don't dominate discussions around Luton um so yeah him kind of keeping it keeping us in it in the first half defensively we looked okay again I think it's something we'll probably come on to talk about as well a little bit but someone tweeted saying the pitch felt massive and I think just Brentford's in terms of ability to kind of stretch the play um and put together kind of fairly tick attacker one touch stuff just just left us kind of chasing shadows for a while in the first half yeah, I, I I wouldn't feel aggrieved at all though. So it's something. It's, it's definitely something that Brentford do. This first, the first half an hour, there's been. I think Derby County when they came to um, this new stadium, they didn't have a shot until something like the seventieth minute. Um, other teams will be. It will be till the half an hour till they get a sniff at goal. It's it's definitely something we work on, sort of controlling the early stages. And I think some teams take a little bit too long to settle, and it's just really hard to stop Brentford. I think good progressive passing options whenever you whenever a player's got the ball there's always a good angle to move forward um once it's out wide those players have got it in space and they can attack a fullback it's it's just all very very silky and slick and uh it pro- they'd probably make it look very easy because of their positions but i, I didn't yeah. know whether the break might have affected you in terms of you might come out a bit sluggish um mm. having had such a long rest uh, and we've obviously had quite a lot of game time 
in comparison. So I didn't, it, it would kind of go one way or the other, but you came out the blocks, I think. Um, so fair play. It was, yeah. It was a needed rest. Yeah, definitely a team that started fast. I, I think that's, that was their plan. Start fast as we normally do and see where it takes us because um, as we'll probably get on to, I think just finishing up on the first half, the second half was a complete drop-off and there, was, there wasn't much of a, a pulse at all. But but just finishing on the first half, I think um, just some bits that I noted, I think your, your pressing probably started to to have a bit more dividends and pay a bit more dividends because I, I think there were a couple of moments where Raya got a little bit probably complacent and made a couple of sloppy options and went short when he probably should have gone long and then he went long when he may have should have, should have gone short. And those, that's being ultra critical. But I, I think towards the end of the first half, um, there was a little sense of maybe Brentford tiring. And I, I think Jones noticed that. And uh, yeah, I, I think there could have been a little bit more... Um, I don't know, just a slight application to finish out that half and maybe it was tiredness creeping in. But um, yeah, Brentford go in 1-0 and we're all looking at it and thinking, I'm not sure one's going to be enough here. We probably need a second to be comfortable. Um, and then half time comes and yeah, second half. What Do you want to lead on the second half, Luton? So yeah, um, yeah, oh, this is the bit I really want to talk about actually. Um, yeah, at the second half, um, we didn't make any changes. Um, I, I, I sort of had suggested that Moncur would have been would have been the one to go um, had I been in charge, but luckily I'm not. Um, and and looking at so Sofa Score do a fantastic thing called the attack momentum in the game, and uh, for the sort of first sort of five five to ten minutes, uh, it was it was fairly even. You guys probably had the better of it, but then. After that, we just flew into the second half, really. And I think we were almost thinking about making subs at sort of 55 minutes. We had three subs lined up, ready to go. Um, and we sort of postponed them for about five, ten minutes because we were, <laughs> we were in the ascendancy and he didn't want that flow to stop. Um, but yeah, it definitely felt like a completely different game to us. Um, I think, disappointingly for me, we... We struggled where we have struggled before this season in putting away chances. We were making some, we, our passing was a lot better. We dominated possession so much so that it tipped the balance back in our kind of favour. Um, but we weren't making absolute clear cut chances. Um, and those that we were making, um, sort of the Cornick chance really stands out for me. Um even though it's sort of some of the XG models have got it down as low as sort of eleven percent, so zero point one one and or zero point two in some. Um, I, for me, it looked fairly clear cut, so I don't know what the maths is behind it. Um, but yeah, I felt I felt aggrieved that we didn't capitalise on any of the chances. But the way in which we played and the kind of the way in which we controlled and stifled you in in everything you tried to do in terms of winning the ball backs, winning second balls putting the keeper under pressure, not allowing you to kind of play out from the back and kind of running into all the space. I, I thought it was really a great second half for us. Yeah, definitely. Um, I couldn't, yeah, couldn't agree more. I think the second half was just a, a huge improvement. Um, I, my take on it, I, I felt like, um, I felt Jones would have sent some weakness at half time, And I, I think the game, the way the game went, he'd have probably expected Brentford to start well. He'd, he'd have known that. And, and, uh, just maybe concede some of the pitch and sit back a little bit and soak up and see what see what we could see what we could offer in terms of goals and we are it was only one nil and I think we played so well and we dominated you so much that the scoreline's only one nil it makes his it makes his talk really easy and I think he just got into the lads and I think he just went this is it now 
they've not got much they're going to tire because they've been out of training for a couple of weeks you've we can make changes if we need to if you're not if you're not up for this because you're coming off um let's um let's let's see what you've got here and be braver on the ball i think in his post-match interview he spoke about brave being brave quite a bit and um i, I think there was definitely an acceptance that you could get something out of this game or, or a feeling that you could get something out of this game and um yeah i, I think you played slightly higher up the pitch and yeah, as i was saying being braver on the ball and that with a combination of Brentford being unusually sloppy, um, quite tired, sort of the long balls not being normally we're quite good at winning second balls. So when that ball does come long from Raya, just getting around it and all of these things we were good at were just not working. And in the end, we retreated and sort of sat back and, and dropped back and it got quite stretched. And it was just testament to, to you guys and, and how much you improved in that second half. But do you think there's any who, who kind of stood out in that second view? Is there anyone that, that made it um, as commanding yeah, as it was? I think uh, defensively, we were kind of really strong. Um, I thought Lockyer had a good game. Um, Pelly for me, in terms of running into the space, um, kind of linking the play together and trying some sort of more adventurous passing. So sort of, he dinked a couple into the box that I thought um, kind of had had Collins possibly still been on the pitch, he would have kind of got on got on the end of. Um, he was just kind of a bundle of energy, so I was really impressed with him. Cornick Cornick's running for me is always something that I call out as a positive because he, he he can run for days and and gives defenders a torrid time. And it was interesting in terms of player ratings. Um, someone that we called out in the last thing was Rico Henry, who actually didn't didn't score that highly because um, I think Cornick gave him such a difficult. Uh, kind of evening um but yeah and and then from your side I think I think for me it was is it was Godos not only the goal but I thought he was he was brilliant throughout really yeah he played well Let, let's talk a little bit about sort of just shape quickly just um just because I was quite interested to see what um what Luther were doing and whether there was any major changes and I, I think um Bree you mentioned him in the preview here how um sort of tenacious he is on the right and then we picked up on Harry Cornick playing so high up on that right hand side I think it's yeah it's quite interesting to see how much he gets away with positionally and then um it was it was going okay I think there was an acceptance that maybe you needed to change something and Collins went off and Cornick went up front didn't he Cornick was the central the central point and I, I think again you just went on to another level which Brentford couldn't cope with I think you went longer to Cornick and then you started getting intricate in the wings and Brentford were just I, I think there were periods where we just had to hope and just hope that we didn't concede yeah, I, th- I think it's been an interesting one for us because because Cornick got moved last season into the kind of striker role and uh, and I think has been moved back to the wing because I think as a child I think his parents might have been quite disappointed in him because he just literally can never finish his dinner, um, <laughs> which which for us is quite frustrating because I think again it's one of those kind of old cliches that if 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 Harry Cornick had an incredible end product whether that be at the ability to score or put in an incredible ball, um, he wouldn't be playing for us. He'd be playing in the Premier League because um, his kind of carry threat is is incredible, um, and his and his one v one dribbling is is staggering. And uh, especially even at this level, he's been brilliant. Um, so yeah, moving him up, I, I sort of held back from tweeting saying, "Oh, we, we've decided to go strikerless to see what happened." We're, we're <laughs> We think we're a Man City and we decided to go strike it, but I didn't tweet that just in case he did score. Um, But yeah, it was it was a good move in that in that Harry was causing trouble at the back, um, and and yeah, Colo Colo wasn't 
we, it was more we were kind of picking up the ball and running with it than driving forward and getting crosses into the box for Collins. But ironically, that kind of changed towards the end of the game. And uh, a lot of us kind of felt the absence of Collins um, when kind of Cornick's throwing himself at headers and things like that. Um, you just you just wish that kind of Collins had been in that place instead of him. But um, yeah, as I said, not 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 Harry's worst game by any stretch. Um, but I, th- I think formation wise formation wise I couldn't quite work it out at the beginning and some of the kind of analysis sites have got it as a kind of 4-1-4-1 which Mm. we have played at the beginning of the season and and a lot towards the end of last season under Jones but to me it looked almost at points like a flat out sort of 4-3-3 with Pelly sitting Mm. slightly deeper than Jusby Hall and Berry who were playing their kind of more box-to-boxy type roles I think as we progressed into it it, Pelly kind of moved forward a bit and we knew we were in the ascendancy, so um, he yeah he was being a bit more adventurous with his runs. Yeah, I I, I agree. It wasn't really a four one four one. It was it was more like a four three three, and sometimes yeah, possibly like a four two three one out of possession when you were high. But the fact that I think no one player had that deep role nailed down all game may have been why you sort of conceded that that Godos goal just because there was no one deep properly playing there and felt fixed there I think at all different stages Pelly was up front either pushing in that in that sort of more advanced midfield role Jewsby Hall definitely was Berry was up there at one stage Monker was up there it didn't ever feel like there was a fixed anchor and and unless uh, Bradley or um or Lockyer were sort of pushing high I think that's that's where Canos coming inside had quite a bit of space and I think Tony did okay in there as well sort of when he did get the ball under under control but yeah it was, it was an interesting shape I, I think I think you were just a lot better across the 90 minutes than um, a lot of people would have expected and adding to sort of Brentford's fatigue levels um, yeah it, it I, I was, turned out I was, to be a really good game I was intrigued game. to see Nathan using all five subs um, yeah which, which is something he he goes on about how much he likes and sometimes does and sometimes doesn't depending on how well we're playing in a game but yeah the triple sub I think he obviously saw to your point that that you were kind of suffering um, sort of in terms of not only physicality, but also the, the sort of tiredness um, that the team was suffering from. So he bought a triple sub on at, at sort of 64, 65 minutes um, in kind of Clark for Moncur, Tunnicliffe for Berry, and then Loire Loire, who kind of played out wide left as he usually does for Collins. Um, and I thought Tunnicliffe was an interesting one in that very much he can then sit slightly deeper put his foot on the ball and kind of pass it around um a similar mold to Barry, if, if if not slightly more physical and slightly more adept with this league um in terms of his kind of his not necessarily with his passing but that there's he, he's slightly more stocky than Barry in terms of getting knocked off not getting knocked off the ball uh yeah yeah Ryan Tunnicliffe he can it's a bit of a cliche but he can run all day he's just a workhorse isn't he um they should call him Ryan Runnycliffe <laughs> that's that's all you can edit that out please oh, that's, that, that, Running, is, uh, that is staying in without fail that is awesome <laughs> that's, that's a long way a long way from awesome <laughs> but yeah just um i think just just quickly touching back on our preview that we were speaking about i think we were, we were tossing up whether um brentford's break would impact the game and i think i think it it probably did because at first we looked really good, but I think in this second half there was just a clear drop off in intensity and um, attitude in getting near the ball and and maybe some of our patterns and and we we went very long and I and I think it definitely impacted the game in a negative way from Brentford and it, and it was positive for you so I think your the fact that you had played two games in that time you you looked like the team that had ninety minutes in you and then also another probably underrated 
um, something we're probably not giving enough weight to is the fact that you could make five changes. There were five players on your bench that Jones was confident in bringing on and that could impact the game as you just you just went through them there. Brentford were, I think from a Brentford perspective, we were looking at the bench and thinking, I'm not sure what changes he can make here because he doesn't have that many options or I don't know who could influence the game or basically solve the issue that was wrong. And I think the issue was that we needed someone like Josh De Silva who could um, hold off a couple of challenges and then carry the ball from the deeper areas up or, or, or just hold on to the ball for a little bit longer than maybe someone else could and maybe disrupt a little bit and turn and basically just turn you the other way because it was it was pretty relentless. So so would he normally be in there? He'd normally be there instead of Janelle, would he? Uh, he's been playing with Janelle recently. He'd probably be in there instead of Godos. So it okay. would be a midfield of Jensen, De Silva and Janelle. And um, uh, all three of them, Janelle would be probably the base. He'd be the one that's slightly deeper more of the time, but all three of them would come deep and pick up the ball. But when De Silva does, if he has got any, if he's not under enough pressure, he can just carry the ball forward. And I think we lost that yesterday. You could see that at times. We didn't, we, um, it worked well in the first half because we passed through you well, but as the, as the game went on, we lacked that, that sort of energy and that, that control and, and then being able to basically just disrupt your lines in the second half. And, uh, yeah, it, it just turned into, it turned into one, one way traffic and we were, we were quite yeah. lucky. It's interesting you say that actually, but in terms of wor- worrying that you didn't have that impetus off the bench, because from an outsider's perspective, having seen you give sort of a really long contract of force and and having him as kind of a focal point going forward for the club and locking him in for that long, worried me with him coming on uh, for Canos. And we've seen a lot of kind of Fosu Henry from his time at uh, Oxford and he's someone I rate really highly. So I, I I thought that might come from them in terms of from, from an attacking perspective, but I think it was more the battle was being lost in midfield, maybe. Yeah, exactly um, that. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. I guess it, it's about, I, I guess, when you're when things feel like they're going wrong, you have to look at what you're not controlling and what you change. And it is that, like, exactly what you're just saying, the players. So Force, for instance, if Force comes on, is he going to, is he going to get in the centre of the pitch and suddenly hold onto the ball and... Um, in the centre circle and then maybe knock off a couple of passes and spread it wide. He's probably not. He's looking for it over behind, so he's going to do a lot more off-the-ball stuff. So He actually came on for Canos out wide, so that didn't feel yeah. like it solved a huge problem that Brentford weren't getting hold of the ball in the middle of the park and we couldn't bridge that gap and Tony got quite de- de- uh, detached. Foss was the same. He came on out wide and I think you have to defend those areas and you have to top up where you can, but it was only Zambrek that came on as a central sub much I think he came on it was later than those actually I'm not sure the time exactly now I forget yeah so he came on on the 83rd minute and I, I think you can yeah. imagine every Brentford fans pulling their hair out at this stage thinking why are we not topping up the midfield or what's what's going on here and um yeah it was actually Godos that came off in the 83rd minute so they the yeah Thomas Frank really pushed the players hard I think he could have made it felt like he could have made changes earlier because you kept topping up your team and the and the flow was coming from you as you're saying on that attacking momentum it felt like we needed to do something to stop it and uh yeah it was um it was pretty hairy stuff I think something that's not something that I usually put a huge amount of uh kind of onus on because I know I never really know whether it's better to have a young first 11 or an older first 11 or experienced mm. first 11 in this league but interesting to see that your kind of average age your first team was 25 years old compared to 27 in ours so whether that kind of whether we used our experience um to kind of dominate the game a bit more um obviously you guys have got more experience at this level um, but it's quite a young team um so whether that speaks to 
the energy running out i don't know i don't i don't know because you'd expect a younger team to be more up and at it but um, yeah that's it's an interesting point yeah no it is i think um I think the age thing could be used to benefit you at different different areas. I think um, sort of energy and when things are going well and you are buzzing the ball around, then I think youthful vibrancy is what gets you through that. But then I, I don't know if you are if you are an older team, is there is there more of sort of knowing how to how to hang on in games and um, just do enough to to push you over the line? And I, I don't know the the links between age and not, but. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic. Maybe something. I'm sure. I'm sure someone's done a lot of studies into it. Yeah, yeah. I think basically the best thing age is really thinking your your squad and basically making money from your team. The the actual age out of field. As long as you, the more young players you can get on the field and actually perform at a high level, it's definitely the better. But yeah. whether whether you're missing something when you don't have an older player, and I think we've got Pinnock is probably a senior player now. Dalsgaard's like in his thirties. Godos is 27. I think the key thing is actually probably having more players in the peak age group, maybe more than yeah. being too no, old. that makes sense. But um, yeah, it's not something I'm, a, I'm a, an expert on for sure, for sure. Okay, so the second half was obviously dominated by you, but uh, who came? someone came on that was um, a bit of another klaxon from the um, from the chat. I think it was Naismith. Yeah, so where Naismith came on and I was thinking, where's he going to play? Is he going to play up front? Where where did Naismith come on and what did so he did he impact much? Naismith ended up coming on for Potts because we were playing the back four. Um, yeah. And and Potts is still kind of coming back into fitness. And, and I don't, Jones has spoken about how he doesn't necessarily see him as, as a kind of left, left wing back, left back, more of a left centre back. So Naismith came on and, and had a really solid game, I thought, sort of had a fair bit of space out there and was kind of driving forward and trying to put crosses in and, and trying to dictate from slightly deeper, but then it's sort of running the channels quite nicely. So yeah, it's just nice to see him again. Like you said, like we said in the previous one, he could have popped up anywhere. Like he, and there's people suggesting now he's the answer to our strikers' problems. So um, <laughs> we'll see about that one. I don't know. Yeah, is there anything else? Um, so sort of what did anything really disappoint you from the game? Like, obviously, the second half was so positive. Was there anything there that you'd have done differently or could have done differently? Uh, could have done differently. It's a tricky one. I, I, I thought I was kind of just so proud of, of the way we kind of handled things um, in the second half, especially. Um, yeah, I, for me, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have changed a huge amount. I wish. I wish we'd converted our chances. I wish we'd been that bit more clinical. Um, but I think because I think we're a team who doesn't necessarily make that many clear cut chances. Um, that when we do, we've really got. We've really got to tuck them away. Um, but we we didn't give up. We weren't short of ideas. We held our formation really well. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say there was anything I was particularly disappointed about, um, other than and and I've I've kind of tweeted post game, kind of post rationalising the whole thing, sort of saying um, if if we if you'd asked us before before the Bournemouth game, would we have taken two draws against you guys and against Bournemouth? And I definitely would have said yes. But two very tricky away fixtures. Whereas we've managed to get three points out of those two games. So we've got a kind of extra bonus point there. Um, so I'm pretty pleased with with that. And we go into kind of Chelsea at the weekend in really good form, kind of in really good spirits as well. So, yeah, pretty happy overall. Um, just um, just on the subs as well, which I think was also interesting because, because he had one of your bigger chances or better chances not really a big chance but it was a better one and it came from crossing but it was jack clark so clark came on about 75 minutes or something 70 minutes yeah jordan Jordan clark is uh is a fantastic player um who i'm 
I'm really pleased we've given him a longer contract. I think he, we haven't given him enough time to really shine, but his numbers for League One last year in terms of chance creation, in terms of dribbling, in terms of assists and expected assists were were fantastic. And we picked him up on a free from a wonderful setup at Accrington. He was a massive fan favourite there. And yeah, I think he was unlucky not to tuck that away. I think if he'd been given that extra game time and, and, and had that kind of match sharpness, I can see that going in because uh, towards the beginning of the season in mm. pre-season, he was, he was tucking goals away for fun. So I felt a bit for him in that he's kind of on with that kind of 30-odd minutes to impress and gets that one chance and kind of misses it. Um, but I think, I think people are more likely to remember the Cornick miss where he managed to com- almost completely miss the ball and kick his other foot uh, <laughs> over his one. So Harry's, Harry's probably done him a solid there in terms of meaning people won't remember Clark's miss. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just funny how much these games have just moved on these, these sort of tiny moments. And Yeah, and I, think, I think that stands out for me in the Championship as, as different from every other league into the, the kind of fine margins of we'll hit the crossbar. Or Cornick's chance, for example, he misses that. You went straight up the other end, nearly scored. Then <laughs> um, I think uh, was it Jensen who then um, who then had that really kind of clear cut chance that probably could have been put away. And I, I just felt like that's exactly what the championship is. If you don't tuck away the easy chance at one end, they're going to go up and score at the other end. Yeah, um, it's exactly that, isn't it? I think it shows on the timeline as well. So Brentford did literally did nothing, pretty much nothing yeah. in front of goal from about maybe the 31st minute until the 60th minute. And then they were really small snapped efforts, nothing really. And then you came right back into it and you had plenty, um, lots of pretty much all of the shot play. And then it was only after Brentford's sort of changes where we created just on the break, really, just ho- just hopeful stuff, sort of getting the ball forward and just making a couple of passes. And then I think, yeah, we have to talk about Tony missing his first, his chance on when his left foot when he got in on a good counter-attack. I think it was a 3v3 and he gets released and it's on his left foot. And I, I thought that was quite I a weak the defending was quite good there. Our defender managed to get in front of him and not really give him many options. But um, yeah, there were a couple of breaks where I thought we're in, tri- we're in serious trouble here towards the end of the game. Um, I think purely just because we were going for it um, and really trying to get something out of the game. So I wasn't, I wasn't kind of begrudging those at all. Um, but yeah, Tony, I thought, I thought would have done slightly better with that, given, given his uh, pace and prowess in front of goal. Yeah, it was a difficult, yeah, it was difficult. I think we, when we were talking about Sluger earlier and you're not talking about goalkeepers because they're not making mistakes and I, I think it, that was just it when, on that first chat we had he, he's been a he's been sort of a much better keeper he's better with yeah. his feet and better with his saves and I think he stood up for quite a long time it wasn't a good finish from Tony it was it was weak it wasn't powerful and it was pretty much straight at him but he was there and he made the save so he made it look um he made it look effective and then the Jensen one which was really late on I think in sort of the 86th minute something like that where yeah. I don't know how but he just seemed to walk through your entire midfield in defence and then find himself <laughs> 1v1 with Stuga. and I, I think Stuga again did quite well because he waited and waited and then he sort of launched himself and then yeah he, gave got, he Jensen... got off the line seemingly sort of really it's quite sluggishly but then really fast towards the end and it ends I was glad that he didn't clat completely clatter him <laughs> because by the t- by the time he did make contact, the ball had gone miles away, and and it definitely sort of. I've seen some Brentford fans sort of suggesting it might have been a there was a chance of a pen for that, but I was, well, yeah, I wasn't buying. That. I wasn't really buying. That. No, no, I, I don't. It's, I mean, it's it's a bit it's a bit much saying it should be a pen, but I I think there is a bigger discussion to have on basically what happens after a clean shot's been made. So because. 
because a player has a shot and he's got a shot away and then he gets clattered what are we because I think that's where we get this slightly wrong with the rules and maybe we should be thinking more about well what has the keeper actually done there just because he's clattered him after the shot I think I think that the the sort of Pickford the Pickford one is case in point and Liverpool fans Mm. have been banging on about it and probably still are to this point Um, (laughs) yeah they'll never they'll never let it go because of the injury that, that it resulted in um but yeah, I, I think you're right. I think as a game, we need to look at that. I think it's always the referee just kind of deferred to watching if the ball goes out or is out of the player's control. They don't really tend to follow up with what happened afterwards. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, so, just yeah. because you see a clean strike, it doesn't mean that it's not still a foul. And he's got a clean strike because he knows, well, he's done it, but he knows a wax coming or he knows he's going to take an impact. Um, should that still be a penalty? And I don't know, the, the move's gone. I, I'm not sure. I, I think I know where I stand and I think we should do more because... The keeper's momentum's taken him out in the end, maybe. But we had one with Mbemo in the cup semi-final against Spurs where Mbemo stayed on his feet and didn't go down from a, channel, a tackle behind him in the box. And then because he stayed on his feet and got the ball away and got a cross in and Tony's shot is blocked, we think it's a perfectly fair phase of play when really it should just be yeah. called back in a penalty. So... Yeah, the refs and the rules have got a bit to work on there. Yeah, I'm up for, I'm up for them looking into it as long as they don't pick on last night as the... <laughs> I'm well up for that. Exactly, that, exactly. So, yeah, I think I think you, you sort of huffed and puffed and uh, Brent, Brentford relied on some luck, but in the end, obviously created the better chances and had the better play and, and got the goal. And yeah, I, I think an overall assessment before we start to get into like the managers and a bit of their comments and stuff, I, I, I think... Luton are Luton are not a bottom of the table team, not in any stretch. Like we've seen we've seen pretty much everyone now. I think there's one more team to play before we played everyone. I'm not sure. I, there's so much going on. I lose count at the moment. But having seen everyone, you are nowhere near the worst teams in this division. And uh, there's there's certain life, like in terms of attack, in terms of your defending, um, the midfield depth you have, the players, and I, I think you're building a really good squad there. So um, yeah, definitely testament to you guys. Yeah, I'm I'm really hopeful of that fact as well. I think. Um, again, we would have taken. We, we're kind of looking forward to to being a mid-table team and kind of cementing ourselves in the championship for as long as we possibly can. Just not only for the financial ramifications, just because we think we, that's what that's been our goal uh, for the last of twelve, thirteen years, both from a board perspective and a managerial perspective. We've been looking to get back to kind of where we feel we belong. And it's interesting. There's a lot of championship teams who'll tweet after a game that they've lost to us or that we've outperformed them, that the, there's a lot of teams like Luton chat. So there's a lot of fans who obviously have quite short memories that we were uh, up the top end of the table in the 80s, um, but seem to think we're a nothing team now. So I think I saw a Bournemouth fan tweeting that, and the irony that they, they, were on my, they were on minus 17 points when we were on minus 30, and they ended, they ended up going up to the Premier League, and we ended up going into the abyss of the conference for five years. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah the teams so, like so, stuff gets trotted out quite a lot doesn't it it tends yeah. to be from either teams who have huge histories or teams who've had very like sort of recent premier league success <laughs> and it's it's yeah. like nothing in between yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of good recency bias from uh from football fans <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely so um yeah just moving on to the managers i think we've covered pretty much like the game in them um, in a good way some of the some of the post-match stuff from Jones particularly was quite interesting. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. I, I felt like, so just listening to it, it was an impassioned interview. I, I mentioned in the preview that I've 
asked him uh, questions post games. Been fortunate enough to do that when I commentated on a Brentford match. It was um, uh, he is yeah he's he's very focused and he's he sort of gets his point across and and he felt you could definitely clear uh, it definitely sort of clearly came through that he was aggrieved about not getting out of the game and he was positive about the players and then he talked about you being sort of beaten 7-0 not long ago and then 3-0 and the huge improvements but i think so much of his discussion came back to strikers and sort of finishing and what what do you think about that it's just and all of the post-match comments now seem to be you need a striker you need to get someone who can take chances and yeah just seeing where I you think stand that resonates that. with me as i said before he's he's his honesty always kind of rings true he's in the past he's kind of put stakes in the ground like i remember when we were in league one and we played sheffield wednesday in the cup and he was like this is where we prove that we're a champion we're we're going to be a championship team and we can hold our own against the championship side and I think for him, Brentford's another kind of place to put a flag in the ground and say, look, we're not we're not getting thrashed by Brentford anymore, and they're a top of the table team, um, and 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 we're kind of yeah putting our mark in the sand and being like we're up there with the best of them. So yeah, he's very impassioned. He, he him calling out individuals is is not that usual, but I think he's aware as well as we are that if we don't take the chances that we've got we're really going to struggle and he needs to keep instilling that in the players kind of week in week out that, that when those chances do come around take the simple option don't try and overhit it um he says stuff to Pelly like no no blazing squad which means don't don't blaze the shot over the top of the bar only take only take the shots that you know you can kind of smash in um, that's really interesting isn't it because he's talking about like chance quality there he's talking about basically like, like XG being linked to coaching and saying you're not going to score from there take it from a better place or place it or control yeah. and those kind of I, things ironically I, th- I have a feeling that that goes completely over Pelly's head because he does shoot <laughs> from distance all the time and they tend to go in so um they, it's one or the other with Pelly. it's a sort of a 50 50 from long shots uh whether they go way over the bar or whether they fly in the top corner um, but yeah, for the rest of the team, I, th- I think that is something we're instilling. And you look at Loire, Loire and Cornick trying to drive, kind of trying to cut in from the left and the right and drive as close as they can into the goal and put those balls in across um, to create the kind of easiest chances possible. Mm. And despite Cornick's being such a kind of low value XG, which still blows my mind uh, from last night, I think he was indicating the Clark chance and, and the Cornick chance are ones that we really should have put away. Yeah, at least got on target, got on target. But something else that came through in the same sort of conversation was him talking about like the lower league players still finding their feet from like the the forward players. We're still, he sort of, we've, we've developed and we've come up quite quickly and we still have, I presume he's talking about Collins, Pelly, yeah. Luar Luar. These are, and even Cornick himself just saying these are lower league sort of forwards and they're still adapting to the, being able to be ruthless enough to take the chances you get in the championship. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think, I think, it's an interesting one because because he pointed out that that uh, quality costs money in that post match interview and and you've bought in Tony for a huge sum that would kind of smash our record transfer fee. But again, beforehand he keeps saying I'm not going to bang on about uh, our budget, but he likes to bang on about our budget at the moment, especially during the transfer window. I think it's a subtle nod to the board that he wants a bit more money. Um, but yeah, Tony's quality showed, and we knew his quality in the, in the lower leagues, but. These are we we haven't signed strikers recently. We've we've kind of updated in each in each and reinforced in each different area. So Sluger in goal, which we knew we had to do. 
the defence is pretty solid, um, but we've reinforced there as well with championship quality. Um, added the midfield, we've got we've talked about um, Dewsbury Hall being sort of Premier League quality. So it's really only the strike force who haven't been updated. And I think Collins was a bit of a false hope last season in that it, people looked at his numbers and yes, he'd done it in League Two, League One, and then in the Championship. But I think uh, sort of six of his goals came from the penalty spot last year, which we were all very grateful for. Um, but if you look at his total tally um, and you take out the penalties, whether whether or not you think he had the kind of greatest season um, in the Championship, I don't know. So I, I didn't think, and I'll, I'll admit this now, and I was very wrong, but I didn't think Collins had what it took to be a League One striker let alone the championship striker. But um, he's kind of trimmed down, focused on his fitness and really worked hard to become the kind of striker he is now. But Hilton's been out with injury. Uh, we've got Nombe, who's been playing League One football a bit bit part for MK Dons. We just don't, we just don't have anyone at a championship quality level. And, and to be honest, this window, I don't know where that will come from. I, I think they, the recruitment team have got the unenviable task of trying to find that. Like Waters has just gone for a million plus to Cardiff, having had a brilliant run of sort of 12 or 13 games, we just can't take that kind of risk on a player because a million pounds isn't something we can just lose. Um, so we need to be really clever with recruitment here, I think, and really try and find. But there are no there are no high scoring un- uncovered gems because the goal tally <laughs> tends to tends to get the interest. Sadly, yeah, I think this is a it's a big debate. I think every team goes through this, and I, I think you've been quite shrewd, probably without without really knowing it and maybe they yeah probably not being appreciative because it's your team but uh, I, I don't know looking at just some of the 538 numbers before this game I think you're uh, so you're you're better in attack than you so you created more expected goals than what two four five six seven than seven seven to eight teams so that's that's pretty good in itself that's the like the quality of shots you're getting and I think we all get a bit transfixed sometimes on thinking that we need a, a 25 or 30 goal a season striker when I think what's more important is that you're just consistently creating chances and you can create chances if you look at teams like Sheffield Wednesday Birmingham um, uh, Coventry not so much them but these teams are struggling to create chances whereas I don't think you have that problem I think you're you're good enough and the goals will come because you create enough and you are just being basically finishing is a bit unlucky because you're just as long as you're in these positions goals will come in the end you can't be unlucky forever and you will start to finish them like like Clark's incident or or Cornick's and then what you were talking about recruiting in the other areas where you've been really clever is I, th- I think if you look at your defense now with Bradley and um, Lockyer like that that's quite a good centre-back pairing and then you've got sort of Pearson to come in so you've been incrementally improving the squad areas like centre-backs where it's really important because if you can't defend in this league you're just going straight down yeah and, and, and we then, found that last year yeah. <laughs> we, we reinforced our, our, our centre-backs in uh, we got Glenn Rear back to play the deep midfield yeah. role and then Cameron Carter-Vickers, who I still think is a Premier League quality player, despite being uh, sort of toyed around with by Spurs. Um, yeah, he's fantastic. But I think the same is with you guys, that that you in in losing Watkins, 
even with sort of your budgets and your tactical kind of recruitment now, there was an expectation that Canos has got to step up now and get him in amongst the goals and Buemo's got to get in amongst the goals um, a lot more because Tony wasn't necessarily going to work out as well as it has done, as well as he has done. Um, so yeah, it, even even at the top end of the league, there's this expectation of the goals need to come from multiple sources and the team need to be creating those kind of clear-cut chances. It can't You can't just be reliant on a on a main striker. Yeah, exactly that. So I, I think the f- looking out, looking into Brentford from the outside, it probably looks like we're so focused on forwards. But actually, over the years, these last sort of five years of improvement, it's been it's been improving the defenders and getting rid of the bad defenders and getting a slightly better one. And then midfielders, getting rid of the midfielders who can't defend or or really awful out of possession and bringing in midfielders who are actually more balanced and can sort of resist a bit of pressure and, and play under pressure and just the better second ball game. So it's just basically improving your weak links. And I think you've got much less now than you did last season. Like the, the improvement's amazing and uh, yeah, pretty impressive. And yeah, I think we're probably glad we don't have to play you again. I think there's a lot of other teams we'd rather play than, than Luton. Yeah, weirdly, I wish we had the chance to play you again. We seem to be playing <laughs> a, lot, a lot better against the top three than we do against mid-table. So I, I would I'd take another game against you straight away. But, um, <laughs> We'll have to we'll have to see how we handle Chelsea first. Yeah. Um, just um just sort of as we're finishing up then, um have you got any sort of pluses and minuses for the games or have you got anything that sort of stood out for you that overriding overriding feelings? Yeah, I think um half time just really glad we saw it out and we're still in the game and then by the end of the game I, I think we were forcing you to play for time, which I never thought we'd be in that position. I never thought we kind of had you on the ropes. Um, and I was just really impressed with that. Um, and, and kind of how much we limited you, um, yeah, would be, would be what kind of gave me hope going into this next game. I think we'll probably play a completely different squad against Chelsea. Mm. Um, but to keep that momentum up, I think is a really good thing for us. Um, and, and I kind of wish Brentford, every success because I think you were very unlucky not to not to get promoted last season and I, I'd be absolutely staggered if on the run you're on with the players you've got and the inevitable fantastic recruitment that you'll do over the summer um, to not see you uh, gracing the Premier League fairly soon and possibly doing sort of similar to what a Leeds and a Sheffield United did last season in that you've got a great playing style and, and great players to play it so yeah uh yeah cheers mate i think um i think we're all hoping that it's, this season just ends slightly better than last and we don't uh don't get pipped out again but you just never know but yeah i mean it's 16 games unbeaten now for brentford in the league it's it's a hell of a run and i think that's what probably impressed me most about uh last night just um just yeah just i think a few years ago we wouldn't have seen that game out nil nil and we relied on luck at times but i think you have to in football it's not just always it can't yeah. just always be about you you have to just just block and just hope and just be focused on defending um sort of good attitude to defending and and just hope that things come off and uh yeah luckily last night we did and yeah 16 unbeaten I, I, you just sort of develop a belief and you you just hope that uh, you hope you can keep it going for as long as possible yeah but uh, yeah i think i think that's what we need to do is kind of hit, hit a rich vein of form or have a little kind of run of being unbeaten i'd really love to see that just to kind of settle us into mid table um, yeah would be great but yeah, just looking forward, you mentioned it then, you've got the FA Cup on the weekend. Do you think that's going to be a complete rest for your players? Or do you think everyone's going to be in nice again, again, you're asking me to, 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 to <laughs> say what team I think are going to come out. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I think I think he'll rest some players and, and give in the same way he did with Man United. Um, 
I can't believe we've had Man United and Chelsea in, in the two cups in a season where we can't be in the stadium. It's incredibly gutting. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think he'll mix it up and give some of the players who don't often feature. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Nombe, uh, Morel used, maybe him try a different formation um, and maybe him give sort of, sort of fairly standard second keeper in Shea, Shea uh, 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 a look in. Um, mm. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. We then got Blackburn um, I think after that, which is not an easy game to kind of look forward to. And I think you guys have got Swansea. Um, so we've both got tricky games coming up after after interesting cup ties. So I think we'll probably have to say a quick five seconds about the red cards at the end. Otherwise oh, yes. Yeah, let's do it. You reviewed that game and didn't talk about that. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I To be honest, I haven't seen them. Yeah, I don't uh, think anyone has. I think that's the whole thing. Yeah. I don't think anyone has seen them, apart from Nathan Jones, who was adamant that it wasn't a red card. <laughs> yeah. And referring back to the red card that I was adamant wasn't a red card in the last game is case in point as to why it shouldn't have been a red card because there was no blood, I think, was his was his logic. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't I didn't really see it. I, I saw Tony go in and possibly deserve a second yellow for a, sort of a slightly accidental leading with the elbow um, for, his, for his jump against Lockyer. But... For me, I wouldn't. I, I didn't see anything. I can imagine we're going to appeal it. So hopefully, there's a camera angle somewhere. I think on Quest they pointed out the fact that if the, the ground had been full of fans, there would be thousands of videos doing rounds on social media now of exactly <laughs> what did happen. But as none of us saw it, yeah, it's very difficult to comment. Yeah, but, I think that's it, isn't it? It's it's like yeah, it's it's happened. It didn't feel like it was the right end for that sort of game. But no, not um, at all. Not at all. But yeah, they've they've both got red cards. Um, yeah, I, I was just bemused. I, I was wondering what had happened. I thought there was a big melee or something to see two reds, and it didn't seem like that at all. But yeah, it's um, it's it's yeah, it's just one of those things. I think we just you just take the bans or you appeal where you can. But yeah, yeah, Tony Tony got a yellow card earlier on, and I think you just always run that risk when you're when you're a pressing forward as well. So yeah, I, he'll just have a rest against Leicester. I don't think they'll care too much about it at all it'll just probably be a bit of a benefit i don't think he was going to be involved anyway so he just gets to he just gets to sit out and come back i always wonder when they do that when they hype it up over christmas and they go like (laughs) christmas off uh and and get themselves booked uh or get get yeah get a red just to just to see their family for a bit more but yeah i i can imagine yeah just resting in for leicester is probably a good thing um i think i think we'll we'll miss Lockyer if he's gone for three games i think that'll be a real struggle for us um, but and we've just let Osho, who would, well, I would have thought would have been one of the covering centre backs, out go out on loan. So I don't I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> um, I think we've done quite well to get all the way to the end and not actually talk about the refs. That's really. true. Yeah, that's very true. Definitely a big pat on the back for that one. But yeah, I think we should wrap up because we've um, we've hit our we've hit our hour mark. That sort okay, of sweet nice. spot that's supposed to be good. But um, yeah, again, really enjoyed it. Um, do you want to give? Do you want to give the listeners a reminder of your of your page and uh, where to find? Oh yes, yeah. so uh, you can find me uh, at at Luton Analytics, uh, um, and yeah, un- unless you're very keen on very specific Luton stats, it probably won't be one for you. But I'll, I'll happy to chat anything football um, and statistics related. Um, I, I often kick out some stuff about uh, the championship in general and go searching for decent players um to kind of highlight along the way to see um in the hopes that uh, kind of um our recruitment team might be thinking along similar lines so yeah that's me great stuff yeah i'm i'm there all the time i I love looking at it i think it's great i think that's what you probably just hit it on the head there all of the efl sort of fan accounts are not just 
looking at their own team they obviously have the label of the team but there's there's always other bits of the league sleep uh creeping in so creeping into the analysis so it's really it's really good to get a good oversight of um the rest of the league as well and teams and what they're up to uh yeah so again thanks a lot ben for joining us um yeah just a bit of housekeeping to finish off uh Search at Bees Tactical wherever you uh, search for stuff, um, Twitter, etc. Those kinds of things. There's also the Bees Tactical Substack where you can sign up and get a newsletter and um, sort of stuff sent to you by email. Uh, hit the Patreon up. Um, that's where you can support Bees Tactical and um, subscribe and just help um, things like this continue. Uh, and just review the podcast. Yeah, say how much you like it. And um, yeah, last thing to do is to thank Ben again, and we will see you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.